Hello, my name's Sam Breakit and welcome to Brains Bite Back. This is your podcast for everything to do with psychology, technology, and our society. On this episode of the podcast, my co-host Mags Tanev will be interviewing two guests on biohacking, discussing everything from intermittent fasting, what foods you should be eating, and how to better understand your body. And for our Weird Why web piece, we have a story regarding how YouTube will be limiting video quality around the world for one month. This episode is brought to you by Publicize. Publicize is a digital PR company that stands out from other legacy agencies. They don't charge large retainers or simply send out press releases when you have something to announce. Instead, they have a transparent and modular approach to PR that ensures you only pay for what you need. They refer to this approach as growth communications for everyone, and it makes them the default option for tech startups looking to take their first steps in PR. If you want more information, you can request a free PR assessment at publicize.co and find a tailored PR strategy that works for you. And exclusively for Brainspike Back listeners, for a limited time only, those who sign up for a 12-month package will receive one month free. To claim this promotion, visit publicize.co slash BBB. My first guest today is a perpetual adventurer, health nut, biohacker, and startup CEO who thrives on living outside of his comfort zone and pushing his physical limits. He has a degree in kinesiology with a focus in physiology, biology, and sports nutrition, and is the co-founder of dietary supplement and nutrition company, True Nutrition. His name is Doug Smith. Doug, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So I wanted to start out by asking you to tell us a little bit about your own story and what it was that drove you to actually explore this field of nutrition and eventually create your own nutrition company. Yeah, I think it, it pretty much originates, you know, when I was a child. I, uh, um, I was always a super physically active child. Um, I didn't play, you know, I guess ball bat sports that most kids play. I was kind of the, the kid that was in the dirt riding his bike and um, always being in the woods. So I guess it wasn't considered exercise, you know, 30 some odd years ago, but I guess it, in relative terms it was. And I think what happened is pretty much when I was a kid, I could eat anything I wanted to. It didn't really affect me. And um, I went to university and that changed food and what I put into my system definitely started affecting me from caffeine to food to what have you. Gained a bunch of weight, um, started seeing the issues that food can have like upon your biology. And that's kind of how it started. And I got really interested in human physiology and chemistry of the body and kind of changed my major to to work with that. And then I think, you know, when I was in my early 20s, the idea of, you know, dietary supplements and manipulating kind of your nutrition um, really became my focus. And the issue I had is every time I went to a supplement store or ordered something, um, it always had all these other additives and ingredients that I just didn't want. However, I wanted that core based material. And that's kind of how True Nutrition started. It was originally called True Protein, um, where we allowed, you know, an end user online to mix or match any type of protein or dietary supplement or fat or carb um, without all these other additives. And we've been doing it for 17 years now. That's really interesting that it's come from your own personal experience. And But in terms of others um, also attempting to biohack their own biology, what kind of ways are you seeing people use nutrition to achieve this? Yeah, I think, you know, um, as of right now, you know, in 2020, um, a lot of people think of biohacking as in, 
what type of items or ingredients that are outside of really food can affect them. You know, any, anything from nutraceuticals to drugs um, to caffeine, all types of stuff. And I think where I've really put my focus back as of recent is understanding that food, you know, as in macronutrients and micronutrients are really the foundation of, you know, quote unquote, biohacking your, um, your health, how you think, how your brain works, you know, from being a, let's just say a carb burner or a sugar burner to being fat adapted and operating on ketones instead of, you know, carbohydrates and the clarity it can provide. I think that is way more impactful than let's just say over consuming caffeine and, and dialing in your brain that way. Yeah, absolutely. So what kind of um, techniques specifically would you say we can kind of trust as, you know, consumers that haven't necessarily done, done all of this scientific research? I feel like there are definitely a lot of misconceptions out there. And, you know, there's always a fad diet that's that's trending at the moment until the next one comes along a few years later. Are there any sort of fail safe nutritional techniques that you feel like people can adopt universally? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think, uh, you know, in the industry I'm in, although this might not be the best for sales is that most people try to out supplement bad nutrition or bad lifestyle. And this isn't as sexy and it doesn't sound as good as like, well, I, I have this capsule that has 20 different ingredients in it. You know, the reality is, is that everything kind of starts at nutrition. And I think, you know, regardless of the fad diets or this person's on a ketogenic diet, this person's vegan or what have you. I think I think at the core, you know, you have to figure out what works for you and, and kind of what fits for your moral compass in life and what fits, I guess, you know, your day-to-day -day activities. And I think ultimately, food-wise, nutrition is to really just stay away from things that are, are packaged or processed. And again, you could be on the, the scale of being, let's just say, on the paleo diet, which is super heavy in animal products and, and plants, or you could be vegan. But at the same time, regardless of the choice you make, it's really stop eating the processed stuff that's out there, basically the crap that that's in the middle part of the grocery store. If you stick to the outer perimeter, that's usually where you're going to be better suited. Your brain will work better just because of your nutrition, regardless of adding anything else. Yeah, that grocery store hack is actually a great one in itself. Um, I'm gonna remember that. Uh, so let's say that someone has their nutrition down, you know, they're consuming majority whole foods um, that aren't processed and they have that part of their life down, but they want some sort of extra boost, maybe to improve longevity, maybe to boost productivity. What kind of dietary supplements would you recommend and which wouldn't you recommend? Yeah, I think dietary supplement wise, um, anything that's going to basically better dial in your nutrition first, as in like, for instance, you know, I live in Southern California. However, I am very pale. So being out in the sun for too long um, has negative repercussions as in like skin cancer and whatnot. So I know, although when you're out in the sun, you synthesize, you know, vitamin D, that's not ultimately healthy for me. So I have to take D3 exterior, you know, through a capsule form. So I think it's really going to be dependent on, you know, the individual. But I think ultimately taking like micronutrients that complement your diet is first. And you know, second is really manipulating maybe when you consume food or eat. I know for the last few years, uh, I kind of went from grazing all day long until just eating only maybe once or twice a day and keeping that eating window shorter where basically I, I'm kind of intermittent fasting where I like, for instance, it's, it's noon right now and I still haven't had my first meal today. When we're done the interview, I will eat 
And then probably six hours later, I'll eat again. And usually when your body is given a break from digestion, clarity comes from that. So I think better in the morning. I'm more alert. I'm more awake. And this is without any type of CNS stimulant, like, you know, caffeine or something like that as well. Yeah, I think intermittent fasting is definitely one of those biohacking techniques that's becoming more visible. I mean, we're seeing tech leaders like Jack Dorsey swear by it. You know, I was reading that he only eats one meal a day on weekdays and then actually doesn't eat at all on weekends. But for those of us that might want to just get started and dip our toes into intermittent fasting, what kind of advice would you have? Yeah, I think um, basically you have to, um, in a way, you're, you're so used to your normal, you know, most people eat breakfast as soon as they wake up in the morning. And I think sometimes it's an adjustment for a few weeks. But I think the best thing to do is, is basically just forget one of your meals. If you're typically doing a, a breakfast, lunch and dinner, forget the dinner or forget the breakfast and try to keep that window where you're actually eating, you know, six to eight hours. And the rest of the time, you're really giving your digestion and your body a break from that. I think that's the best way to kind of start. Um, I know for myself, I feel better not consuming anything the first few hours after waking and then having a larger meal uh, closer to the end of the day. But I know a lot of people that don't feel that way. When they wake up, they want to get food in and then they eat food maybe, you know, around two or three and then they're done for the day. So I think the best way to start is just to kind of pick your window and feel it out and go through those two or three weeks of maybe a little bit of hunger pangs. And also during that first meal or that last deal, don't, don't count calories, just go for it. Eat as much as you possibly can to kind of satiate yourself. Yeah, interesting. I think it's definitely one of those things that like a lot of things in nutrition, it's very personal to the person that's actually undertaking it and, and their own preferences. But yeah, no, those are definitely some very helpful, helpful tips. So I think with all of the, the benefits that can come from biohacking through nutrition and using techniques like intermittent fasting, there are obviously a lot of positives that people can glean. But what would you say are some of the downsides to this or what do you say are some of the dangers of people getting involved with this without the the proper information well i think um biohacking in general is a is in its own there's some stuff that are very obvious and kind of tried and true you know like for instance just eating healthy it's gonna you're gonna be hard pressed to have somebody tell you that eating healthy isn't going to do better for you um, however, there is also some people that are kind of on the outer limits doing things, um, you know, with pharmaceuticals or nutraceuticals that, you know, what I always say is that every action has a reaction. So you might get something positive by using some drug that basically, you know, recategorizes your brain and makes you work better or think better. But there's usually an opposite reaction to the other direction. You know, there's obviously a lot of people that are microdosing different types of hallucinogens for different effects. And I'm one for always exploring and, and trying, but I think people have to realize that there are repercussions for that. And again, they usually go to the extreme before they go to the obvious, as in first, try a few <laughs> diets out there where you're not eating toxic, polluting stuff, and then go into the more extreme. So I think the negatives are really people trying to take uh, the least path of resistance too quickly and going way too extreme too quickly. Yeah, that's interesting that you that you say that because I guess that's what's driving so many people to follow these diets because they think it's going to be a quick fix and solution when rea it, you know the reality is that a combination of regular exercise, a whole food healthy diet and sufficient sleep is 
ultimately has to be the foundation. Yeah. And on top of that is what you build. Yeah, that's the that's the 95%. You know, the, the less, you know, all the little items of like um, the taking caffeine or something like that, those are all like the last 5%. And it's, it's just interesting that most people put 95% of their energy on the things that aren't that impactful and could quite possibly be dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And what do you think... I mean, on the whole, in terms of motives of people that are getting into biohacking, do you think it's primarily people that are seeking this quick fix? Or do you think there are like genuine reason, genuine kind of motives of like wanting to try and feel better, wanting to optimize for longevity and things like that? What are you seeing as the general motives of biohacking and, you know, around the field that you're working in? I think it really depends on, you know, the individual. Like I know for myself personally, you know, years ago, I'm now in my 40s and I I really care about performance and not just physical performance, but actually mental performance as well. Ultimately, when I have those things, I'm just generally a happier person. So for lack of better words, I mean, the goal of my life is just to to be as happy as possible and, and lead a happy lifestyle. But I think, you know, when I was in my 20s and 30s, I think a, a lot of understanding my physiology, my chemistry really had to do with physical performance and things that I wanted to accomplish and, and act upon. So all are valid, but I think as you maybe as you get older, you care more about quality of life and longevity than actual performance. But I think overall, there's I think when people think better and they basically hack their science ultimately they think better and they feel better. And when you feel better, you're just happier. And I know it sounds like pretty simple, but I think ultimately the goal of life is to, is to be as happy as possible. So I think that's a big motivating factor, you know, regarding like trying to biohack and understand how your brain works. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think it's potentially getting a bit of a bad rap because there are so many people that work in tech in Silicon Valley adopting these techniques Um, claiming that it's really helping them boost productivity and the likelihood is that it is doing that but I feel like you know shouldn't necessarily be the entire motive for most people like you said if you're able to live longer and if you're able to have more mental clarity and feel generally healthier then that should take more of a priority than putting more hours of working in the day. Yeah I mean for myself it's better for me to have a harmony or a balance of you know work and play. I love both However, I know when I do too much of one and not of the other, um, I start to become unbalanced. And then obviously my life starts to not fall apart, but doesn't feel as good as when it is balanced. And I think I think it's really dependent on people. I know when you're younger, it takes time just to learn who you are and to understand like what kind of fulfills you. So I don't know. I never judge anybody. I just kind of look at everything kind of at face value at first to, to understand what people's motives are. But again, for for myself, like if you start to get extreme, it's just making sure that there's re- extreme repercussions usually on the other side. And I think that's where people are losing it. And I think that's where a lot of the bad raps are coming from, where you hear the term biohacking. It's a very broad stroke. Biohacking for me is really based on nutrition and understanding different fundamentals that are important to me. It's not about consuming and manipulating drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. But on that note, I did want to ask you if there are any other biohacking techniques that you use outside of nutrition and fasting. Yeah, again, this sounds like very obvious, but sleep is probably the most important. And I get it. It's not sexy. And everybody's like, well, I know that. However, even though people know that, they don't put 
time and effort into it. I know for myself, I don't set an alarm in the morning, but I set an alarm at night where it's important for me to keep that consistency. And, you know, my bedroom is, is like um, kind of a sanctuary for sleep. Like I have blacked out windows a few hours before I go to bed and the sun starts going down. You know, I start not using typical blue lights or any type of light. I usually have like candles or if there are lights on, I will wear like blue blocking sunglasses. And I think if people focused on their sleep and some people like, for instance, I don't need eight hours of sleep. I can get off on six hours of sleep. But I think when you've really put energy and time into caring for basically that is a third of your life, that can be monumental in, you know, for lack of better words, biohacking and feeling better. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure if you've read Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. I haven't read it, but I know about it. Yeah, I so I listened to him on Joe Rogan's podcast and then listened to him on a bunch of other podcasts and read his book and since then have taken sleep significantly more seriously than, than I was taking it before. And all of the things that you said, like making sure you have a blacked out bedroom, not looking at your screen before bed, it's really, really changed the quality of my sleep. And, and, and since I've been prioritizing it as much as I have, I've really noticed a difference. So I think that's just one of the ones which is so foundational to other areas of your life and can impact the other traditional, I guess, biohacking aspects that you should be focusing on, like nutrition and exercise. So I think as long as people understand that these, these areas are the foundations upon which to build, then I think that's, that's the main thing. That one's, that one's seemingly an easy one. But again, it's usually the easy stuff that people just avoid and don't put time and effort in. They want to do the more exotic or thinking something, you know, there's going to be a magic pill to something. But these normal things are usually going to be the 95%. You know, a few other things have been uh, meditation for myself. Maybe 15 years ago or so, I, I really got into meditation. And, and for me, transcendental meditation really um, clicked in my brain and, and seemed very easy you know, where basically you're just repeating a, a word that doesn't really mean much, but it allows you to focus on nothing but that word and kind of everything else kind of disappears. And I know like, you know, 10, 20 minutes twice a day has been super monumental for me over the years. And it's very tough to describe or to put in the words of people like, well, why does it help you? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I just feel better and focused from it. And there's been a lot of studies that have been done on that for the reasons why, but that's another one that's most people are like, well, that's free and it's not in capsule form. I don't know if I want to try that. But again, it's monumental for some people, as well as for myself, you know, the last like 10 years or so, um, I predominantly have been lower carbohydrate. And for some reason, when I basically use fat as a substrate for energy, my brain works better and I'm calmer and overusing, let's just say carbohydrates, which all kind of convert to glucose. Those two things have been awesome, very monumental for me outside of the normal realm of what is biohacking. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I guess with, with all of these, it's just going to take people trying them out and seeing what works for them, especially when it comes to nutrition. But with meditation, I think that you can pretty much categorically say that that is a beneficial technique for everyone that does it regularly. Yeah. And it's also, it's also something that produces results that you can't really achieve in any other way. Maybe, maybe with like some really strong psychedelic trips, but generally like the results that you can achieve with regular meditation are kind of um, incomparable to anything else that you might do to try and achieve those. Yeah. And it's, and it's a tough one to um, describe the actions that come from it. And it's, it's such a seemingly easy thing, but it actually is very difficult for most people because 
we're so activated by everything today. There's so much filling our brains. You know, we have these little computers in our hands every day, constantly looking at them. So to remove yourself and to detach just even for 20, 30 minutes a day, it can have a monumental restful like effect on you. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. Okay, Doug, well, I think that's a great place to, to end the podcast, but thank you so much for coming on and talking about this with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. My next guest today is a board-certified urologist and expert in men's healthcare. He combines his expertise with cutting-edge technology to offer his patients individualized, state-of-the-art care, and in 2017, he founded Smart Men's Health, focused on optimizing male performance. He offers a personalized path to help men maximize sexual health, testosterone levels, and prostate health. His name is Dr. Tracy Gappin. Dr. Gappin, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks so much for having me. So I'd first off like to ask you if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into the space of biohacking um, and helping people achieve their optimal selves? Sure. So I've been a clinical urologist for almost 20 years now and I've uh, been taking care of men's health issues, you know, low testosterone, sexual health issues, voiding complaints. But what I found was a, a universal theme among men is that men don't tend to take care of themselves very well. They're very reactive. They wait until a problem comes up till disease sets in and then they come to see me or another doctor for a quick fix. Men tend to be fairly simple creatures and we simply want the, the easy magic pill to fix our problem, whether that's a Viagra pill, whether that's Lipitor, whether it's whatever pill it may be to fix our problem. Well, I went through my own health issues about maybe five to eight years ago or so when I found that I had kind of hit a wall. Um, I had gained a bunch of weight. I wasn't sleeping well. I was stressed out. I felt like crap and I wasn't eating well, wasn't exercising and I was stressed and I, I finally realized I needed to see a doctor myself. And I went to see a medical doctor here in town and he did some blood work and I was about 25 pounds overweight. And it was very eye-opening to hear details of my own mortality and that I knew I needed to make a change. What was scary, though, was what this new doctor of mine told me, and that was I simply need to eat more vegetables, I need to exercise, and maybe take a statin. And that was it. And I left there that day scared of my own health, but also very much aware of the inadequacy of our medical system to take care of our health and that we're very reactive and we just uh, give a, a prescription medication to fix a problem. But there's really nothing geared toward optimizing our health and being proactive and being the best version of ourselves. And I realized that me as a, as a clinical urologist, as a guy who handles men every day in my medical practice, I, I didn't have answers either. And so that really started my quest. And I went on a journey, if you will, learning about epigenetics, learning about uh, functional medicine, precision medicine, where I use genetics to take a personalized approach to health. Uh, I learned about biohacking, if you will. And uh, it, it really transformed my own health and it transformed the way I care for men. And from that experience, from the personal experience I've, I've been through, that has created Smart Men's Health. Okay, yeah, that's really interesting. So I'm really excited to get into some of these methods that you use through epigenetics to help people biohack. But just for our listeners that might not be familiar with the term, can you give us a bit of a description as to what epigenetics is? Yeah, sure. So epigenetics literally means above the genes. And what it really means is that your health, your life, uh, everything about you is not just controlled by your genes. 
you know, when I went through school, when I went to medical school back in the, the Paleozoic era, it seems, um, we were taught that your genetics dictate your health and they dictate your risk of cancer and your risk of developing cardiovascular disease and your risk of, of dying early was all kind of set in stone. Well, what we've learned is that there are factors above your genes that have a dramatic effect on genetic expression. And so what that means is your lifestyle, meaning what you eat, how you sleep, how you manage stress, how you exercise, how you move, how you breathe, and even how you think. All these aspects of your lifestyle and your behavior directly affect your genes, which affects genetic expression, which affects your body's function. And so when we look at optimizing health, it's no longer simply set in stone. It's no longer your destiny that your genetics dictate what's going to happen and that we can have a very proactive approach toward optimizing health by making changes based on your genetics. Wow. So what kind of specific changes would you advise people that are keen to get started in biohacking through epigenetics? Sure. So it, it really starts with a personalized blueprint. So as I mentioned, you know, your genetics don't necessarily dictate your health, but they do dictate uh, how epigenetics will affect you. So a good example or, or a way to describe this is a piano. And everyone may have similar you know, looking piano, but how you play the keys is dramatically going to affect the music that comes out. And so I'll give you an example. So let's just look briefly at uh, one gene related to nutrition. So there's the APOE gene. And the APOE gene is a gene that regulates how your body processes saturated fat. And saturated fat's found in red meat, it's found in dairy, it's found in pork, steak, hamburgers, cheese, milk. And for some people who have a variant of the APOE gene, they're gonna do very poorly with high saturated fat intake. Other people may do just fine. And so when it comes to nutrition, there's a lot of guys who will come see me in the office and they're doing this keto diet or this paleo diet because they were told that's what they're supposed to do and, and that's the latest and greatest fad diet now to lose weight and build muscle and optimize your health. But if they have this variant of this gene, then they're actually doing the exact wrong thing. And those guys want to limit saturated fat and focus more on the, the monounsaturated or the, the polyunsaturated fats like you know salmon and olive oil and, and healthy nuts and, and, and other fats as opposed to the saturated fats. Uh, there's a gene related to carbohydrates and how your body processes them. For example, the PLIN1 gene is a gene that, that dictates uh, whether you're going to lose weight with high complex carb intake or low complex carb intake. And we're not talking about cupcakes and donuts and candy and jujubes and Sour Patch Kids kind of, kind of carbs. We're talking about complex carbs like quinoa and broccoli and sweet potatoes and and you know, healthy vegetables like that. And so this gene will dictate whether you're gonna lose weight better with a high complex carb diet or a low complex carb diet. And so again, this is a, a great example looking at nutrition of how there's no one size fits all. And epigenetics is really about personalizing your health based on your genetics and your genetic blueprint. And so when God asked me, what should I be doing? My answer is, well, there's no perfect diet. We, we would individualize it to you so that we can tailor it to, to what you need. And this applies not just to nutrition, but it applies to, to micronutrient supplementation. It applies to optimizing your detox pathways of your liver. It applies to maximizing hormones, including testosterone and cortisol and thyroid and estrogen and, and growth hormone and melatonin. It applies to sleep and it applies to athletic performance as well. 
So I really take a personalized approach when, when I'm working with clients to optimize their health. We use genetics as a blueprint and everything starts from there. Yeah, that's really interesting that you mentioned the prevalence of fad diets because I feel like there's definitely a tendency in certain circles to kind of blanket state that certain diets are categorically the best option for everyone. And especially when people see a lot of results with the keto diet, losing a lot of weight very quickly, probably because they're in a caloric deficit and they're losing a lot of water weight. And it's actually, you know, not the optimum diet for a lot of people. And, you, you know, you could say the same for a vegan diet or for a paleo diet. So it's interesting that it is such a, a personalized thing that people need to stay in tune with their own bodies and not just go off what the latest fat is. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about the relationship between epigenetics and exercise. Yeah, great question. So there are genes that look at multiple aspects of athletic performance. So number one, we all have a tendency to do better either with more of a strength training kind of program or more of an endurance type of program. And your genetics dictate whether you are going to do better with one over the other. And that doesn't mean you could only do strength or only do endurance training, but it would suggest which one you're going to do better with, which one you're going to have the best results with. There are genes that look at your body's recovery capacity uh, with exercise or your, your fatigability, meaning how fast you hit that, that wall where you can't go any further. And there are ways through uh, you know, exercise technique as well as supplementation to optimize that effect and enhance your outcomes simply by knowing those features. There are genes related to risk of, of injury as well, whether it's cartilage injury or tendon-ish injury, and you can tailor your exercise accordingly as well. So it, it really, again, comes down to taking a personalized approach. And yes, everyone needs to exercise. Everyone needs to do some interval training, some strength training, and you know some cardio or endurance training as well. But your genetics can help you really fine-tune that and, and make, make it a, a program that's unique for you. That's that's so interesting. I actually never knew that it was such a, a genetic factor whether you were better suited to endurance or strength training. Yeah. And so with the patients that you that you see, what would you say are their primary goals when they come to you looking to use these biohacking methods? Because right now we're seeing a, a big prevalence in Silicon Valley of a lot of people working in tech and working in high pressure jobs wanting to maximize their productivity. Would you say that's the main driver or it's more of a like longevity goal that people are trying to reach? Yeah, great question. I, I see a lot of high performers at Smart Men's Health. Obviously, I'm focused on men. Um, I, I do treat women as well, but mostly my focus is on men. And most of them are high performing. They're, they're C-suite executives. They're entrepreneurs. The, some of them are, are retired athletes. Uh, some of them are executives in big corporations. And these guys need to be at their best. And I, I find so many men come in who are tired, they're fatigued, they have no energy, uh, they hit a wall early in the, in the afternoon, and they're gaining weight, they have that beer belly kind of starting, they're not sleeping well, they're stressed, and they just don't know what to do. And I hear this every day, guys that say the same phrase on a daily basis, they say, just tell me what to do. Because they want to feel better, they want to um, optimize their health, and they want to, you know, get back to their peak in terms of, you know, cognitive focus, in terms of energy, in terms of sexual health, and they just don't know what to do or where to start. So I, I see that a lot. Um, I do have a, a few men who will come in specifically because we met at a longevity conference, and they want to, you know, optimize NAD or autophagy or mitochondrial biogenesis or, or, or several other aspects of longevity and. And we work on that. But but most guys are the typical high-performing guy who wants to be at his peak and will do whatever it takes to get there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
And in terms of kind of other biohacking techniques that we're seeing, such as fasting, you know, meditation, even there's been kind of over the past few years news of avid biohackers injecting themselves with certain enzymes to edit their actual DNA. Which of these biohacking techniques would you kind of advise people to universally follow? And which of them would you advise against? Sure. So, yeah, there's a lot of uh, science that's coming out on an almost daily basis now about longevity and and, uh, age reversal. And and it's really a fascinating time right now. One of the things that, actually, I'll give you two things. Uh, One of the things you mentioned is uh, autophagy. And intermittent fasting is something that's really been shown to be beneficial when it comes to autophagy. So the way I describe autophagy to clients is it's your cell's way of taking out the trash. It's your cell's way of clearing out the debris from cellular processes that your cell needs to be able to to function at its best. And and you could think of a hoarder and think of all the debris and trash in a hoarder's house versus a house that's that's clean and organized. And and that's what autophagy is all about. And animal studies show very clearly that improving autophagy does correlate directly with longevity through the the CERT1 genes, CERT2 genes, and uh, AMP kinase genes, and mTOR. And so we know that uh, intermittent fasting is one of the best ways to promote autophagy. And so I've had so many men, it's amazing how I do nothing other than just start on intermittent fasting. Like the first time we meet, we'll, we'll go through a detailed health assessment. And before I can get their labs back or their genetics back, or before we can really create a customized plan, I send them home with one piece of homework, and that is to do intermittent fasting at least three days a week. And it's amazing. It's fascinating how quickly just that one little biohack transforms their health. And so intermittent fasting is something that I love. And I'll make a disclaimer that this is not medical advice. You should talk to your doctor first, obviously. But I find that my clients who start intermittent fasting have tremendous results in terms of energy, in terms of mental focus. They lose weight almost instantly. And it really kind of gives them a jump start toward you know, moving on to, to bigger and more personalized aspects of the program. Yeah, absolutely. And what kind of window are we talking about? Is it like a, an eight-hour eating window or... Yeah, yeah, great question. So most of the guys who come in to see me, they don't even know what intermittent fasting is. They've never heard of it before. And so for those guys, I will start them with this basic intermittent fasting, which is a 16-hour fast and an eight-hour feeding window. And I'll have them do that at least three days a week to start. And then from there, we can move on to more uh, advanced methods of intermittent fasting. And by that, I would get them down to a four-hour eating window at least one day a week if they can. And then I'll even have them do a 24-hour power fast once a week as well. So like for me on Mondays, I fast for 24 hours. So those are a couple ways that men can very easily implement intermittent fasting in their life with really very little personalization to start. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's something that certainly um, has been producing great results for a lot of people. But I I do just want to ask you if there are any biological differences between men and women when we talk about intermittent fasting. I remember reading some studies that have said that men are actually better suited to fasted training in the morning, for example. And I know you're focused on men's health, but for women out there that might want to start it as well, is there anything that they should consider differently? Yeah, you bring up a good point. Uh, Most of the work I do is with men. Um, There have been some women who don't respond well to fasting. So again, I like to just make the disclaimer that I'm not here telling everyone to go out and do intermittent fasting. That I would would talk to to someone before you start doing that to make sure you're okay, especially women who have severe hormone imbalances. uh, You want to get those kind of fixed first. But in terms of time of day, um, I I have seen numerous studies that, that have 
been somewhat conflicting in whether the timing of it does matter in terms of exercise and, and a result of your workout, whether you're doing it fasted or not. And I, I tell you, that's more of a personalized matter. I don't think there's any set in stone rule that says you have to do it at a certain time. Yeah, absolutely. That's, um, that's really helpful. So what kind of advice would you give for someone that perhaps wants to get started with biohacking, but maybe doesn't have access to this kind of personalized plan that people like you are offering straight away? How can they dip their toes in and get started on their own? Sure. I actually have a blog at Smart Men's Health. I have a fairly in-depth blog that we're adding to regularly, which is a bunch of free content around biohacking, epigenetics. Peptides is an amazing uh, cutting-edge tool that, that's available now as well. You, you can learn all about that in the blog as well. Um, but I, I really just recommend that people just read. And, you know, there's a lot of a great content that you can get out there for free. The key that I would, I would emphasize is application of that information. Uh, you know, there's so much out there. There's so much uh, noise out there that sometimes it can get tough to know what's real and what's not. And so you, you take it all with a grain of salt. Look at the science behind the, the articles you're reading. A big thing to focus on when you're looking at literature is to see what kind of study is it. If it's an observational study or if it's a population-based study, those studies are typically worthless. Um, those are, are typically not going to really give you very uh, strong data because correlation doesn't necessarily equal causation. And you know, one thing may be associated with something else, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it causes it. And so looking at the literature, there's a lot of great studies out there, and I would just urge people just to read. The best way to learn is, is there's a, a, a number of great books out there. There's some great studies that have been published in the last year on longevity and epigenetics. And uh, the key is just to really look at the data and make sure that it's, it, it's a good quality study. Yeah, absolutely. That's very helpful, helpful information. And, um, and just to finish off, you mentioned, you mentioned peptides. Are there any other tools that you find to be very useful in this area? Absolutely, yeah. So first, peptides. Peptides are, are amazing. They are, are signaling molecules, and peptides are chains of amino acids. Uh, so they're, they're naturally occurring uh, molecules in the body. The, the, the body recognizes these signals already. And peptides are able to really achieve amazing outcomes related to weight loss, building muscle, cognitive improvement, boosting immune system, healing the gut, uh, healing joints and musculoskeletal injury, boosting memory, um, skin care, hair loss, um, sexual function, libido. It kind of goes on and on. There are thousands of peptides that are being studied. Uh, about 70 of them are FDA approved and available for use here in the United States. And they're amazing in that you can get all of the great benefits that you're looking for with very little downside. And so I, I truly believe that over the next 10 years, peptides will become massive and they will eventually replace the pharmaceutical industry um, because they're precise. They have very uh, unique and specific outcomes with very little downside. And they really are biologic in the fact that these are, are signals that your body is already used to. They already, your body already recognizes these, these enzymes, if you will. And so peptides is a cutting-edge tool that is going to be much, much more popular in the next five to ten years as people learn more about them. The next exciting area that I think would be worthwhile talking about briefly would be uh, biometric tracking. Uh, you mentioned you know, with uh, exercise, I have all of my clients wearing uh, some sort of device um, I personally uh, use the Garmin Phoenix watch. Um, some of my clients will use uh, the Whoop or the Aura Ring, but I, I definitely have found that the, the Garmin 
so far provides the best data. And what I track with the biometric tools like this are uh, heart rate variability, which is a, a direct sign of physiologic stress, and sleep. So first looking at heart rate variability, heart rate variability is simply the change or the variation in your heartbeat from one beat to the next. So when you think your heartbeat is 60, it's really not truly 60. It varies each beat to beat. So between one beat to the next, it may be 60.01, and then to the next one, it may be 60.03, and then 59.99. And that slight variation is, is what we refer to as heart rate variability. And heart rate variability is critical because it's actually a direct sign of your physiologic health, of your recovery status. And it helps us understand how, you know, and this goes back to epigenetics, how your lifestyle, how your exercise, how your sleep, how everything around you is affecting your body's physiology. And so I use that with my clients on, on a weekly basis. I will sit down with them and go through their data for the past week, look at their heart rate variability and talk about what may have caused changes in that heart rate variability and how we can optimize that. These tools will also show us data about sleep. You know, almost every guy I work with, they struggle with poor quality sleep. And they may, they may think that they're sleeping okay, but then we put a, put a, a device on them to actually track it. And we find that even though they may be track, uh, sleeping uh, seven hours, they're actually getting very poor quality. And by that, I mean poor deep sleep and poor REM sleep, uh, which are the two stages of sleep that are really critical for your body's recovery. And so tracking that, you know, if you track it, you can manage it. And so by tracking sleep, I can see not just the quantity of sleep, but actually the quantity or the, <laughs> excuse me, the quality. Uh, we can track both quantity and quality. Um, and that helps us really uh, uh, fine-tune our approach and, and optimize that uh, for these men. Yeah, it's interesting that you highlighted both of those areas because I recently uh, got a, started using a Fitbit watch myself and having those insights into the quality of sleep, how long you're actually sleeping for and how long you're just laying in bed awake, and then also the, um, the variability in resting heart rate is something that... I wasn't really thinking about before, but now I'm kind of obsessively checking the app every single day. So, yeah, it's I, I like definitely would recommend everyone to to invest in in a tracking device. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's it's interesting. I'll, I'll see men who come in and and they're sleeping eight eight and a half hours a night, and then their deep sleep is only like twenty minutes, and that's terrible. And they think that that they, they're getting good sleep, but in fact they're not at all. And you would never know that without tracking it, without actually measuring it. So it, it it's really helpful and. You know, when I look at, at optimizing health, you have to look at the whole body and you have to be able to track it and get real data and, you know, make decisions based on that data. And, and that's why I love biometric tracking. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, Dr. Gappin, um, that's, that's everything from me. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Weird Wide Web. According to Bloomberg, as of last Tuesday, the 24th of March, YouTube will reduce the quality of videos around the world in an effort to ease internet traffic during the coronavirus outbreak. Users will still be able to watch in high definition if they want, but will have to choose to do so. YouTube is extending a policy it already instituted in Europe, where regulators have asked major streaming services including Netflix and Amazon Prime Video to reduce their bandwidth usage. The article goes on to state that use of streaming services has surged in recent weeks as hundreds of millions of people stay home to contain the spread of the virus. While YouTube viewing has historically spiked in the evening when people are off work, consumption is now more steady across the day, the company has said.
Once again, thank you to our sponsor, Publicize. If you want to find out more about their PR packages, the free resources they have available, or receive a free PR assessment, you can visit their website. And for a limited time only, Brains Bite Back listeners will receive one month free with a 12-month package at publicize.co slash bbb. That is our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want more episodes like this, then you can find more at sociable.co. You can also find great articles that we produce there. You can also follow us on any of your favorite podcasting sites, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, we'll be there. But until next time, stay healthy.